Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. When is enough enough? Setting and establishing and maintaining boundaries with your coworkers and clients. This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tries to tackle some of the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, I think we're going to tackle a pretty tough topic, and it's all about boundaries. When is enough enough? When do you say no? How do you say no? And why should you say no sometimes? But before we get into all of that, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, you know, I think we really got interested in this topic because we know we've all been in those situations where as medical professionals, we just want to help. We just want to be there for people, but we also know that we don't want to burn out. So how do we be giving caring professionals while still knowing when to say no? And and how do you say no without feeling like you're a terrible human being? Yeah. How do you say no? Because then I feel like a chump. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and what do you guys find are the hardest situations for you to say no in? I, I, I'm trying to put my finger on the hardest place for me. And I think um, when it comes to my day to day um, in the veterinary clinic or, you know, the veterinary practices or dealing with clients, it's, it's pretty much when money matters, right? It's the hardest thing when clients uh, really need a certain level of care or they need something and we have to say no. And you guys, I can trace this all the way back through my past lives and previous careers of arguing claims when I worked for a human health insurance company because we couldn't pay them. So for me, I think at the end of the day, saying saying no when it comes to money, it matters. It's the hardest. Yeah. And Cindy, I, th- I think that most of us in this profession just have a hard time with no in general. And there seems to be this societal pressure to say yes. I mean, there's was a, there a book like something like a, the year of saying yes or something. And you know, there are these motivational speakers that say, just try saying yes to everything. Well, I want them to come work with me for a day and then tell me if you can say yes to everything. Yeah. And there, I think there are actually folks who will have you practiced looking somebody else in the eye and try saying no versus saying yes? And it's something really deep and emotional, like we're these social creatures. So it's it's really difficult to say no. Um, I, I know for me, I think the most one of the most challenging things for me, in addition to what you guys have mentioned, is having to turn to my teammates and to have disagreements about what we should and shouldn't be doing or how things should and shouldn't be done, um, especially because we know that there are different ways of doing things. So I feel like there's always a little bit of uncertainty there. And, and, and I think there's an element of conflict anytime we, we have these discussions and we have to say no, right? Like we try to avoid conflict like the play right. and saying no kind of has conflict inherent in it. First, before we even jump into this saying no and establishing boundaries, is it really that binary? I mean, you know, I think yeah. that may be part of the issue is that we sometimes think it's a net sum zero game when I'm not so sure that's the way we should approach it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, we when we talk about conflict, like conflict inherently implies mutually exclusive outcomes. Right. And often you're, you're exactly right. That's not the case. And we especially when we find ourselves in an emotional place and we get on the defensive, it's very easy to feel that way instead of to approach a situation with curiosity and to recognize, you know, hey, what can I find out about what's going on with this person, why they're doing what they're doing, why they're asking for what they're asking for, and what common ground can we find? 
Okay, so Cindy, when we establish boundaries, that gives us something to back into when we say, well, you know, once we get to this whatever threshold is, then we no longer do it or we do it, right? So give me an example of like a boundary in the daily practice that we should sort of discuss as a team. Yeah, so I've become a little obsessed with your saying, Dr. Ward, about uh, are we falling in the grass or are we falling over a cliff? And we've got to kind of decide which things are are falling in the grass or falling over a cliff. But for me, especially as a new graduate veterinarian, I felt like everything was falling over a cliff. Right. I felt right. like every mistake was, you know, my and, and all the mistakes of my team members were somehow my mistakes. And so I felt like I had to make this huge deal out of all of them. And you know what? It's it's just not as big a deal if we forget a charge for a Lyme vaccine and we need to, you know, revisit our protocol and see how we make sure that doesn't happen again versus you know, giving a patient a intranasal bordetella injectably, like that's fallen off a cliff. Right, like we really right, need to make right. sure we don't do that. Like I might end up, you know, being abrupt with somebody if they're they're about to inject it into a patient. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. So, so yeah, I think we've got to determine as a team, I think hard lines if patients are at risk, that that's got to be a hard line in any veterinary practice. All right. Well, Becky, since you brought it up first, we are back to our dreaded topic of money. Uh, and that is the hardest thing to say no to. So what are, what are some of the things that you've learned about setting boundaries around money? So now a client comes in and you're, you know, when do you say no when they can't pay? Well, I think that I want to approach it from a little bit of a different angle and just saying that saying no and setting boundaries are not synonymous, right? It doesn't True. have to be no to be setting a boundary and a healthy boundary. Right. So, just because the answer is not yes doesn't mean it's no. And I think th- for me, that is a way of setting boundaries is saying, how far can we go? What it, What is our drop dead here? Um, for lack of better term. And, <laughs> you know, what can, what play area do we have in the middle? Because there is gray area on everything. And so I think part of um, setting boundaries is knowing where your flexibility lies and knowing that that's part of what will enable you to find negotiation and not always be a hard set yes or no, which is what can really wear on you, I think, emotionally and mentally. All right. Well, Cindy, I'm not going to let Becky off that easily. So I want to get your opinion on it. Now, a client comes in and their dog is really sick and it really doesn't matter what the symptoms are, but it's really sick. And the client immediately turns to you and says, well, that sounds great, but I have no money. Can't you please help? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think there are some boundaries that are built into our ethical codes, right? As veterinarians, we, we do have an obligation to help make sure that pet is either stabilized or to make sure that pet's suffering is ended. And so I, I think that's important. And those are really difficult conversations to have for all of us. But but I do know veterinarians who will offer a no-cost euthanasia for the pet, or they will let them know about options for their pet um, if that is going to ultimately be the right solution. I think the other thing is, as Becky pointed out, that the boundary doesn't have to be no. I think a lot of it has more to do with what options are acceptable and what options aren't. And so I think in those situations, you can explore with the owner, okay, these are the options I can offer you. Um, And to think about ahead of time, what options can we make available? Is care credit available? Is uh, an angel fund available? Is reaching out to their friends and family members for help paying available? So, And I think sometimes it can help pet owners feel a little bit more in control of that money situation and make it feel less like a no if we can give them those options that are okay. 
And I, I love that you point out those options because to me, that is where the boundary is set. And that for me is how I feel good about the situation is um, baby tech Becky used to say, well, then let me adopt this pet. Let me take the same right. pet from you. Let me pay for it. And now I have yet another, I have a house full of animals that, <laughs> that I didn't set boundaries with. And it ultimately began to affect me. And, and unfortunately, I think what happens in, in the situation where veterinarians have the, you know, economic euthanasia situation, I, I really think it's leading to burnout. And there's an ethical situation that that puts our veterinary teams in as well when it comes just down to death or money. And so having the immediate accessibility to things like angel funds, uh, financing options, and then resources like friends, families, and I've even gone so far as to suggest pawning that nice watch on your wrist. Because (laughs) for me, if you can't or won't, or no one else will loan you those things, then I feel better about the decision that says I can't make your problem my responsibility. All right. And here's where we get back to our old concept of pet care shaming, Becky, that we talked about last year at VMX. And okay, so we set the boundary, but what if you're not comfortable with it? Are we saying, well, you should sell that watch? You know, I mean, this is where it gets a little ethically murky to me. And I I think sometimes, at least for me, um, I, I phrase it in terms of what I can do and what I cannot do. And I try and make options available for folks who may be able to do more than I can or may be able to provide lower cost care. So personally, I tried to make it less about a judgment of them versus this is the situation I'm stuck in and this is based on that situation what I can and cannot provide. So I I tend to find if you set boundaries properly, it, it tends to take judgment out of the situation instead of infusing judgment into the situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you make a a really good point. And for me, it's not about judging how you choose to respond. It's that I have the tools and the options to give you tools and options. Maybe that wrist on, maybe that watch on your wrist is your boundary. (laughs) It's your grandfather's and you're not going to pawn it. And that's okay too. But my job is to help you brainstorm, to try to find a resolution with both of us being able to stay within our boundaries. But like Dr. Cindy said, I think when you have those clear set boundaries, whether they're over client costs. And and honestly, I think this is an area where it becomes easy to set boundaries because we deal with it so much. I think the ones that catch us off guard are the ones that we don't deal with every single day. You know, the pets who come in who their owner just died. That's not something that happens every day to us. And, you know, that's a harder thing to deal with. So um, I, I think that the more you deal with a particular situation, the easier it is to set that clear set boundary. And I think you start to understand what your personal boundaries are by, by listening to your emotions. And I think, Dr. Ward, you pointed out, like, you know, what if ethically you're just not okay with presenting owners with that decision of, you know, having it be about money or having to put their pet to sleep? Well, and, and that becomes a personal boundary where you, you've got to realize that you have to help accommodate that boundary, you know, so you need to set up something like an angel fund, or you need to be talking to people more about pet insurance or, you know, figuring out whether billing is something that makes sense for your clinic. So, or whether or not, you know, maybe you are willing to take a loss on some of those and might have to increase the cost of care for other patients. So, so everyone has to determine what their, their individual boundaries are. There's not a single person, I would argue, that got into veterinary medicine so that they could tell people, no, I can't help you. Exactly. (laughs) And they certainly didn't get into it and say, no, I can't help you because you can't pay. 
But you know, Cindy, it is such a heavy burden on our profession. This is why I think it's so important for us to set these boundaries, because if you haven't listened to that episode in our podcast on control and and, and feeling, you know, like you're you're helpless in the profession, this ties right back into it. Because Cindy, if, if they haven't established boundaries collaboratively with their team, then they're going to always be frustrated and feel like they are on the wrong side of the ethics or the morals. And they're going to they're going to say, wow, we did the wrong thing. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and it can be hard because, you know, we we want to help and a lot of folks see us as being the ones that are in control. And I try and remind myself and remind clients that I, I hate to say it, but a lot of times the cost of care that that we have to provide is more dictated by, okay, hey, healthcare costs in general are increasing. We have the same companies providing our supplies. And I see people nod their head and understand and agree. And the fact that just in general, the government is not supporting veterinary education the way that it once did. And so it, it just have to remember that some of these things are outside of our control. And sometimes when clients understand how little they're in our control, that can make things better for some folks. I, I think the other challenge, I know I was talking a little bit about when we're working with our coworkers and our employees and you know people mess up or people treat each other badly And I think we try to have faith in each other and assume the best of everybody and that people have bad days and they mess up. But when is enough enough when it comes to your coworkers? Like, when do you say like, hey, this this person is not going to get better. And this is a a person that maybe isn't going to be a good fit for our workplace. Well, I think it's an important aspect to consider setting personal boundaries and then also, you know, having overall organizational boundaries as well. Because when we talked about doing this podcast in general and this topic in general, um, you know, a veterinarian that I work with uh, came specifically to mind who left general practice because of a lack of ability to draw boundaries and kind of tying into our, our conversation. You know, it's easy for us to say with clients, you know, we are drawing boundaries around money. But there are so many other places where we have, you know, people towing the line and an inability inability to to draw boundaries that is affecting us from a personal and emotional standpoint in the veterinary industry. And, you know, when can you look at a client and just say they're a crappy owner, you know, and that they're not doing the things that they should be doing. And and again, we shouldn't be client shaming, but, but when they just don't take recommendations and allow their pets to suffer. And we've talked about that before. Um, And then the same thing kind of comes into play with our, our team members is you know, not to answer the question, but just to reiterate it, how can how can we, without shaming and being judgmental, say you're not meeting your responsibilities, this isn't fair, and it's affecting me? Yeah. It, it, for boundaries, I think one important element of them is it's not really a boundary unless it's an if-then. Yeah. So, like, your your example where you're talking about the, the kind of cruddy pet owner. So, I, and again, I think we tend to all be advocates for not judging pet owners, but we also have had episodes on reporting and and on abuse and uh, reporting abuse and you know ultimately it's not necessarily up to us to assess the uh, the evidence and convict somebody but that is our professional judgment to say hey i'm seeing potential evidence of abuse but the boundary there is if i suspect evidence of abuse if i suspect evidence of neglect then i need to report it so i think that's something important to think about with all our boundaries it's not just to say like this is what's okay and this is what's not okay but what am i going to do about it What's that next step? Now, I love that. And I want to segue slightly now back into the clinic because 
there are boundaries that you have to set with your management. And so if you allow yourself to be the person that always comes in when everybody is sick, then you will always be that person who comes in when everybody's sick. Uh, so how do you establish boundaries with your management? And, and I'm, I'm going to get back to that again, that 80-20 type of rule of management. If I'm not trying to make your life better and succeeding 80% of the time in my clinic, then you need to maybe look at a different employer. Now, I've, I can't control the whole schedule. I can't control our entire month. But if I'm not taking real strident efforts to make it better for you day to day, then you need to find another employer getting back to the boundary. How do you set the boundaries with your owner or manager? Yeah. And I think that comes from experience and it's painful experience, right? I don't think any of us step into the working world knowing exactly how to do that. And I I think it changes with every employer. Um, But again, I think I love the if then um, Dr. Cindy makes such a good point is what is really truly affects you? What are what are your when you pick your battles are the most important? And are you are you willing to kind of cash that check once you write it? Well, and and speaking of checks and cashing it, Becky, I think it's incumbent on the employee sometimes to step up to the employer and say, hey, you know, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Every time when somebody's sick, I'm the one that gets called in and I have a life too. So don't you think it's also our responsibility as individuals to let other people know? Maybe your boss doesn't know that they've overstepped a boundary. A hundred percent. And I know that we've had conversations, you know, and in the beginning, Dr. Cindy said, you know, saying no inherently feels confrontational, but, you know, it definitely doesn't have to. And and I am a strong believer and we have to help people learn our own boundaries and learn how we choose to be treated and how we, you know, um, have to self-advocate. And that's exactly right. I think about that all the time when I hear people complaining or saying, you know, I always get called in. It's always me on my day off. And well, number one, why are you answering the phone? Why do you say yes? Why do you set yourself up for that situation? And then number two, what have you done to correct it in the meantime? And you're exactly right. So going in and saying, can we review the policy on absenteeism that would maybe include some on-call staff so that it's not the same person always getting called in. Yeah. And, and there's some amazing research from Brene Brown. She, she studies joy and resilience. And she did some interesting studies on people with boundaries. And she found that the people who had the strongest boundaries were the most compassionate, which is not necessarily what we think of. We think when we say yes all the time that we're being kind and that we're being nice. But if we end up feeling resentful because somebody's crossed a boundary and they didn't know it, then are we really doing them a favor? Because we're damaging that relationship. We're having negative emotions toward them, but they have no idea. Yes. And I feel very strongly about that in my personal and in my professional life that we have that responsibility to communicate with one another when things go wrong and to do it early and to do it often. And it's just a self-checking matter. Um, it's not something that we have to be ill or ugly or mean about. It's just communicating like I was really uncomfortable with this situation or for me, um, X, Y, or Z works better. And, and you're exactly right. I think it leads to a lot more longevity and success in relationships, whether they're personal or professional. Well, I'd like to also take this conversation towards social media and setting boundaries there, because I think most of us are public facing individuals. I know that on a daily basis, I am overwhelmed by Facebook messages and Twitter direct messages from pet owners asking a question about their sick ailing pet. And I have learned over the past 15 years or so that I have to say no, I have to ignore that. But Cindy, in this modern world of always on instant messaging, you know, constantly 
engaged. How do we set boundaries in the virtual world? Yeah, and I think we have a whole podcast, I think, on on personal boundaries and communication with clients, with fa- friends and family, because it is it's ch- such a challenge that's pervasive in the, the veterinary profession. Personally, I do not do veterinary medicine for friends and family. That's a decision I've made just because I don't like missing, mixing personal and business life. Um, I am more than happy to be a second opinion because normally for me, that's just like, yes, your veterinarian is telling you the right thing. So that that's pretty right, easy right. for me. Um, but yeah, you got to decide what you are and aren't okay with as a team and as an individual. And, and Becky, this gets back to that, you know, if you establish the boundaries, it makes it easier to feel like you're non-judgmental. And what are some of the tips and tricks that you've learned in dealing with saying no to social media requests? It's so funny because I think this just goes right back to it's our responsibility to draw the lines and to let people know what they look like. Um, And I've seen, you you know, people just burn out on that. And I see other people thrive on communication and education and they do fine in that area. For me, you know, it's, it's making the decision to um, let someone know, Hey, this isn't something I can help you with. However, you can find help here. And I think that makes me feel good about making sure I'm not just leaving someone hanging out there one way or another, um, but also that I'm not crossing any boundaries legally or personally as well. So, um, and sometimes if I'm having a hard time um, personally setting up that boundary, uh, the legal fallback is there to help me out. I, I it, This actually makes me think about the power of memes because I feel like there have been more and more memes out there lately that veterinarians and veterinarian team members have been sharing that just say like, hey, it's not cool if you just call me when you need veterinary advice. And and I had to have that conversation with a friend of mine. I just had to say, you know, I really like you and you're a good friend of mine and I want to hear about your life on a day-to-day basis. Um, But I feel like you only call me when you need veterinary advice and that makes me really sad. Well, Cindy, let me me ask you about that because how did you feel having that conversation? Um, I... And one of those people who is pretty confident. And, and again, I just felt like it was better to have that conversation and to potentially, you know, have a hard discussion than to continue to feel resentful of a really good friend of mine. Um, you know, there are, I, I think for some folks there would, you know, there isn't a strong relationship there already. And I would just feel a little better just saying, hey, I'm just going to tell you that that's not okay and leave it at that and maybe let the relationship go. But, you know, for for someone I care about, I it's hard, but you, you want to have that discussion to see if you can save the relationship. Right. And I would argue that your relationship will be stronger moving forward. And yeah. this is where that personal resolve becomes so important because, yes, it is painful. And yes, it sucks. And I've done the same thing. And I've lost relationships because of a conversation similar to what you just described. But having said that, am I a happier person? Am I finding more joy in my work and more satisfaction in my relationships? And I think each one of us has to really take a hard look at that and say, is this making me happier or better? And if not, why am I persisting in it? It's empowering to stand up for yourself. So, and I think that applies to our relationships in the clinic as well. You know, as a a team member who has some toxic tendencies myself, when I talk with folks, they tend to think they're doing someone a favor by not talking with them about the negative behavior right, that they're right. they're showing to their coworkers. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, like 
you know, you know that there's a negative impression of your team members about you. You don't feel connected to your coworkers. You know something is wrong and it is not comfortable. And But often you don't know how to address it or you don't know where to start. But often if somebody is willing to reach out and say like, hey, here are some things that I'm seeing. What's going on? Is there a way that we can help improve this? Uh, even if that person doesn't isn't willing to change then, just like that episode where we talked about with hoarding or abuse, sometimes if that person hears it enough times eventually, sometimes it's eventually going to stick. So, so don't think you're doing someone a favor by not putting that boundary forward or not having that discussion. Again, you're going to make those teammate relationships stronger too. Yeah. And I would argue you're going to inspire them to make a chain reaction of creating boundaries. Because I know when I see people create healthy boundaries, I just really admire it. And I we imitate what we admire. And so by having that experience with a coworker and saying, hey, this is, this is my boundary line. Um, we're kind of approaching it and this is, you know, how it works for me and it coming out non-confrontational and coming out empowering. They're going to take that tool and use it down the road on their own. And, and we start a chain reaction of a better culture of good communication and of personal perseverance. And I think that's really important. Well, the last thing I'd like to ask you guys about is what if you're the one who is encroaching on someone else's boundary? So how do you deal with if your coworker or a client comes out and says, you know, hey, that's too much. Enough is enough. So how do you deal with that aspect of boundaries? I think it's really good to, to hear it um, because especially as someone who's really good at saying, you know, this is my boundary, sometimes we don't realize it. But if we do realize that we're pushing that boundary, I think the best thing to do is to be upfront and honest about it and say, listen, I know this is really kind of pushing my luck here, um, but this is why I think it's important or this is why I'm passionate enough to go here with you about it. Um, I want to approach it really carefully, but I want to be clear and honest about why I think it's valuable enough to go there. You know, it makes me think of a couple of things. So I, I was actually also thinking about what happens when you know, you don't agree with somebody else's boundaries. It makes me think about kind right. of generational changes and how there'll be a new doctor who comes in and gasp, they take lunch and they leave the building <laughs> or, you know, they want to spend time with their family. And you see kind of two reactions to that. You either see folks embrace that and say, oh gosh, like Becky was saying, I, I'm impressed with their ability to set boundaries and I'm going to do that too. Or you see, they, they pull out the sledgehammer and they try and like right. destroy those boundaries, right? So I think it's important for us to give people the benefit of the doubt and to understand that people have different perspectives, try and see if there's something we can learn from the, the boundaries that they've set, because um, I think often, often there is, and, and to understand that there may be times where we com- conflict with one another. Like there may be times where, you know, the kind of care a client wants to provide their pet just isn't consistent with the kind of care that we provide at our hospital. And again, that doesn't have to be a judgment. It just means that that may not be a great place for a relationship to exist. And, and there might be someone that's a better fit for them, or there might be a clinic that's a better fit for that employee. So I, I think that's how I kind of approach it. Um, but yeah, trying to trying to give people the benefit of the doubt because um, in reasonable accommodation, like I think about with, right. you know, um, a minor disability or with pregnancy, like if there are little things like giving somebody a soft mat to stand on that makes it easier on their back or their feet, of course, we're going to accommodate that. So just because you don't agree with somebody's boundaries, if, if it doesn't cost you much to accommodate it, why, why wouldn't you if you, you care about your team? Yeah, I think that's a great summary. I mean, for each and 
every one of us, we have to determine where those boundaries are for us and when is enough enough. I can tell you in my over 50 years of being on this planet, I have learned that being more accepting of others and tolerating other people's boundaries uh, has just made me a little happier in everything I do. It doesn't mean I have to agree with everything. It doesn't mean I have to accommodate you with everything, but it does mean that I owe you uh, some respect and the benefit of the doubt, as Cindy says. And so I think we could all learn a little lesson from that. So you've heard what we have to say. What do you think? Where are your boundaries? And how should we as a team collaborate on this and come up with what makes sense for our boundaries in our clinics? How do you deal with money? And and how do you feel with the feeling that sometimes somebody has stepped over your boundaries? And how do you cope with that? Reach out to us on Facebook and tell us your stories. Like, when was a time that someone definitely stepped past that boundary? Um, it also is bringing to mind images of like lots of really cute dogs with baby gates with me. So <laughs> if you want to share some really cute pictures of your animals, that also would be great. And maybe cats climbing over said boundaries, that, that also comes to mind. So I, I think we could get some really great Instagram pictures out of this. So reach out at Veterinary Viewfinder. Um, We'd also love to hear from you on iTunes. We get some great reviews. Uh, The information you share with us there helps us shape what we're going to cover in future episodes, and it helps other people find the podcast. So Apple iTunes reviews, please, please, please. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, keep finding your boundaries. Bye. 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 Too cheesy, Cindy, at the end. Maybe I'm just becoming more tolerant of your cheese.